0: So look, for me, again, hoping that there'll be some people actually hear this podcast, I want everybody to stand on the guard right now. Give us a year. Let us prove to you that we're serious about this, that we're serious about caring for you and your families. We're serious about growing this guard, getting the strength back, You know, being a strong, proud guard here again. We've got to build this number. And a lot of it is to that end of building the strength back in our guard. Sard. Major and I, for two months now, have called every soldier that's 30 days out from ETS and they haven't decided. We've attempted to call each one of them personally, and we're learning that the word's not getting out, the importance of standing in the guard. There's all sorts of ways you can stay in the guard. So if you're hearing this, know the Sergeant Major and I want you to stay in our guard, give us a chance to show you that things are going to be different a year from now.
1: Hello and welcome to Raven Conversations. I'm Sarah Morris, and that was Brigadier General Dan Dent. On today's episode, Jason makes his return as co-host back from deployment, and we sit down with General Dent and Command Sergeant Major Eric Honeycutt, the command team of the Washington Army National Guard, And we cover the big six tenets uh, that they have put out to all of the leadership of the Washington Army National Guard and the philosophy behind it. If you're interested, you can check out the show notes for some more information that we discussed during the episode.
2: Enjoy! Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's W-A-National Guard and look for the blue check mark.
1: Okay, so today I am joined again with Jason. Yes. And we are going to talk to the Army Assistant to the Adjutant General, General Dent, and the Command Sergeant Major of the Washington Army National Guard. Is that the correct title? Yes. Okay. Uh, Sergeant Major Honeycutt. Uh, So, sir, if you would like to briefly introduce yourself.
0: Sure. Um, I'm Dan Dent. I am commander of the Washington Army National Guard, proud father and husband of a, my wife of almost 30 years, three daughters. Um, grew up in Washington and joined the National Guard in 2003.
1: And you were prior active Army?
0: I was on active duty for about 11 years. Um, ended up here at uh, Fort Lewis and then transitioned out of that job uh, into the Guard and been in, been in the Guard ever since.
2: It's awesome. the best decision, right? Absolutely. I, I was the same, I was the same way. Seven, seven years active duty and then went right to the guard, and it's the best decision I ever made. Awesome. Sergeant Major?
3: So, uh, let's see. Uh, Eric Honeycutt, been married almost 20 years to uh, Miss Tanya. have a 19-year-old college student, uh, Trenton. Spent about nine years on active duty. Transitioned out, joined the guard. Been trying one for the last almost 20 years now i'm about ready to try another three so uh i'm hooked i'm here to stay for uh, probably another couple of years and then i'll this will be my final assignment and i'll uh, retire out
0: so great job love it
2: awesome well i guess where where are you from originally sir
0: i was born in st louis and then kind of moved around i was in a um, kind of a ministry family and uh, moved all over the place and then found found herself here in the northwest in 86 been there ever since and
1: your yeah. mother worked for the emergency management department she
0: did yeah she did she uh before i ever knew anything about the military department she was uh, with emergency management during the transition from uh, olympia to here um and actually it was th- it was through understanding what she did and understanding the departments how i got to know about the guard
1: yeah, I found that out yes. from Stephen randomly and I was like that is so unique. <laughs>
0: right. Well, I just
3: found something out. Which side of the river were you born on, sir? The east bank or the west bank? In St. Louis? Yeah.
0: Well, I don't I don't know. I was in a, it was a town uh it I mean, was Saint in St. Louis in the Missouri? city, but I, we lived in Oakville.
3: In Missouri side? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're two Missouri boys.
0: Well, there you go.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Well, then where in Missouri were you born, Sergeant Major? Uh,
3: down south. My hometown's like Barely one of those little map dots. You know, a okay. like graduating class, like 24 people. So, yeah.
1: My uh, graduating so. class was also like 20 something people. <laughs> Small
3: <laughs> town.
2: One stoplight, but it just flashes red. Right, right. So, not even a. We do,
3: but that was kind of on the interstate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: Awesome. Well, what would you like to start with, sir?
0: Well, thanks for doing the podcast for us. I mean, Sergeant, well, Major, wanna get the, Sergeant Major and I want to get this message out.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: And we're excited about uh, this, this whole idea, this whole movement about Soldier First. And we're, we're definitely willing to explain, you know, in our words, what that means to the formation.
1: Well, then uh, let's get to it.
0: <laughs> you want to get to it, Sergeant Major? Let's go, sir. All right. So also, also let, me, let, me, let me tee up the foundation piece. So we, we crafted a vision statement over the you know working through the fall into January sergeant major and I working this out with a bunch of folks on the direction we want to take the army and we framed it in a vision statement. it's called vision 2020 it's making its way out there we briefed it to a bunch of folks in January and it starts with the foundation of one chain of command and I'll describe that then we'll then I'll hand it off to sergeant major to talk about the, uh, the first of the big six but the foundation is one chain of command and what we're trying to do with this, is let commanders have the authority to command at echelon regardless of status whether they're full-time soldiers whether they're traditional soldiers whether they're agrs or technicians we're trying to really reinforce one chain of command we recognize that over the years we've we feel like we've gotten a little out of balance when it's it's too full-time centric, and commanders aren't their you know their decision-making space and their authorities aren't valued in the way they should be so and this is all the, I mean, this is officer and NCO chain of command. So we knew that if we wanted to do anything meaningful, we had to establish one chain of command to allow, you know, those squad leaders and platoon sergeants to have the same authorities that they would have, you know, whether, if they're a traditional guardsman versus a, uh, a full-time member. And it's it's been hard in the last couple of months. The machine is, is raging against itself because it, it tears away a lot of longstanding policies and um, procedures that we've done, but we're okay with it. We want to tear this thing down. In fact, we're in the middle right now of doing a pretty extensive AAR about how we're doing so far. And we're going to keep we're going to keep pushing the the desire for one chain of command as long as we're together in this job because all the things that we want to flow from it, it won't happen unless we truly can establish one chain of command. So with that, flowing from one chain of command, we had six tenants, all right? When they first came out, we use these, this word called tenets, and I suppose they still apply, but we had six things that, that supported this foundation. And Sergeant Major uh, this weekend you know, came to the conclusion that this is the wrong word, that we need to call them the Big Six. So that's what they're going to be called from now on, the Big Six, um, those six things supporting that one foundation. And the first one, the one you've probably heard the most of that's being branded around the Army is Soldier First. So I'll let Sergeant Major talk about Soldier First and I'll uh, color commentary. So, sir,
3: kind of when I describe this to folks and to our soldiers and our leaders. I ask them to look at it like a sandbox. We're just giving you your left and right and the height in which you can play and how much sand you can put in it. But as so long as you're, you, you're using these six tenets to uh, apply them to your thought process as you're going out there and getting after training and you name it, it, it doesn't matter. You, you can use them for your daily life or you can use them for your military life. And just kind of use them as guidelines and principles and so when we talk about soldier first we're really talking about are you mentally and physically fit are you up to date on your APFT do you have your weapons qualification your schooling your individual soldier tasks where are you at are you proficient if not let's be proficient let's get to where we need to be as an individual soldier because it's easier to build an organization if you're not constantly trying to rebuild or redesign the individual. So, just meet the standard, be a standard soldier, and we will take from the standard soldier, we will enhance you. You'll grow from there.
1: Right, start at the sta- at the standard and then excel.
3: Excel. Exactly. Right. Then that, that can be civilian education, right. military education, your PT test, your PT scores, uh, weapons qualification. Just the standard part of being a soldier—that's
0: what we're looking at. Makes sense to me. Yeah, so my, you know, the way I see soldier first, it, it's it's complements the second, um, you know, second piece I'm going to talk about. But soldier first, you know, fundamentally, is a reconnection back to the long line from which we've came. All right, everybody made a decision to join the army. We're all volunteers, right? All took an oath. They did that for a reason. Every soldier did that for a reason. I mean, I'm looking at two of them right here, so. You did it for a reason. So the idea behind Soldier First is connecting you to why you did that. All right? Why you did that. There's an, in, there's an end game to all this about trust and strength of the Guard. But can reconnecting folks to why they became soldiers. Because fundamentally, soldiers have to do at least three things. Right, right? They've got to understand standards. All right? Maintain standards. Have to. Right, They have got to be physically and mentally tough. You're a soldier, right? I mean... Mm-hmm. Or you know, at the end of the day, you know, on our worst day as soldiers, our job is to move across ground and close with the enemy. Right, You've got to be physically, mentally tough to do it, regardless of job. And then you have to maintain the army. You know, live, lead, and serve in accordance with the army values. Army values are your, you know, the lifeblood of service. So that first tenet is an individual thing. It's what all of us have to do if you're going to be in this army. If you're going to be in the Washington Army National Guard, it is a non-negotiable requirement from the sergeant major and I to every. Soldier and Guardsman in our formation to be soldiers first. It's an individual thing, and you know we're going to do our best to hold commanders at echelon accountable to making sure they understand that in the formation. But it supports the second tenet, the second thing of the Big Six, which is soldier centric. And a lot of folks lately, as we've kind of rolled this out, they kind of they're kind of confusing the two things. So the second tenet is soldier-centric, all right? So soldier-first is an individual thing. It's what we all do when we put the uniform on every day. Soldier-centric is what we, you know, you two as staff members, Sergeant Major and I as as command team, it's what we do for our soldiers and their families. Right. And it goes like this, soldier-centric, that every consequential decision we make, we promise them that it will be through the lens of what it means to the soldier and his or her family. That's not a Candyland statement. That that doesn't mean it's always going to be the best, and and they're going to make them happy all the time, right? But it's a commitment that we have that we're going to force our staffs, force our command teams at Echelon. When you think about doing something consequential, you need to look at what it means to the soldier and his or her family. And it's a powerful thing if you do it right, and you're disciplined to do it right. I mean, if you look at this response, how we've played out soldier-centric, you know, there's a lot of energy up front to do some involuntary mobilizations. It'd be, it would make mission command easier, right? It would make the logistics piece of it easier. Right. There's a lot of things that would be easier, right? But we, the Sergeant Major and I forced the staff at the beginning to say, all right, let's, let's do what we promised them. Let's look at soldiers and families. Well, it's a no-brainer that bringing folks in who want to volunteer, who may be out of work right now, is better for them and it's better for the family so then you go through this this decision-making process can you execute the mission to the to it you know the right enough standard by being as supportive as you can as you can be to soldiers and their family and we believe through that process that we could so we executed a volunteer approach something different something something that we probably you know wouldn't have done in, in the past because it's harder it's more complicated right
1: Right, and talk about the most complicated situation of this, right? Mm -hmm. Because also you have to think about the child care of all your soldiers, too, that are are coming on.
0: There you go. That's soldier-centric, right? And so we directed the chief of staff to tear apart every policy, the way we behave, to ensure that it's soldier-centric. Early on in this endeavor, the sergeant major took down an issue with an NCO move. You know, our policy... At that time was literally going to move an NCO on a short notice PCS, you know, to a remote location for a very short period of time. This NCO happened to have a couple kids that were school age. This is right. right in the middle of the school year. And that's what we did. That's our that was our policy. You know, we were in that pathwater for too long, right? And the Sergeant Major came in here. I mean, this is our first couple weeks in command together. And he's like, What is this? I'm like what are you talking about? And he, from that point forward, he has been burning the house down about our policies and how they f- affect our soldiers. Agnostic of status, regardless whether you're full time traditional, it doesn't matter. So that soldier centric, it will be a powerful thing. It will build trust if we get it right. Um, not easy. It's going to take time, and we're gonna, we're going to be working this for a long time. But we're committed to doing. So I major anything else you want to hit on soldier centric. Sir, I just like to say that you know
3: we catch ourselves doing it falling into the old trap and going well you know just do it and we're not starting with the why and the lens and sometimes it catches us too so it's a growing uh growing pains if you will but I think uh over the course about the last seven months now almost eight months I think it's really starting to evolve and leaders are starting to uh put that lens on as I start looking at problems and you see it more and more when, like I have soldier issues, Sergeant Majors come in and talk to me and they're like, hey, you know, soldier first, soldier centric, and let's get after this. So, yeah, we're actually applying it. And yes, we do understand that there are some growing pains with it. Right. But with everything, uh, the more repetition you get, the better you get at it. So,
1: Well, and just putting into practice too that mindset of how is this going to affect all of these different variables of our unit, right? Because everybody is different and there's so many different types of people within a reserve component organization. And it is hard to think about it when all you're used to thinking about is getting the training done, but then really sitting, sitting down and taking a step to acknowledge that everybody's going to have certain effects and which ones are you willing to take risk on and which ones are you not, which is just being a good leader, actually.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the Sergeant Major brought up the issue about asking why. You know, I just put out a new, uh, my first really ever CG's reading list, and one of the books on there is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. So the soldier-centric thing makes you think about the why. Right. It makes you think about the why. So you'll see our training plan for FY21 you know we built it up with units we're going to contract here in July. We've got units now that are going to slow the guard down and get back to a very basic strategy for training. I mean the 81st Brigade by and large will execute mutafors in a 15-day AT. It's the first right. time that ever happened. Right. It's because they're looking at soldiers and families and and the aim of reenlistment enlistment success rate and the why about why we're training the way we need to train. So I mean it's challenging it's it's but I love it. I love the thought process and the, you know, the, the horsepower that people are putting into to try to understand the impact. But it's important for everybody hearing this to know that soldiers do hard things. right? This won't. All, the soldier-centric piece doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy right. or it's always going to be you know the, the the shortest path or it's just not. It's not the way it's going to work out. The commitment is to understand the impact and make a decision about it. You know, the Army's been, you know, for hundreds of years, been made, making hard decisions, you know, and sometimes it's on the backs of soldiers. But I feel like, Sergeant Major, I feel like we at least owe that, owe it to them to understand the impact. And if we got to make a hard call, you know, then by God we should have staffed it and we should understand what we're doing. That's, that's really what the soldier sense of things about. Um, that connects to the third thing, brilliance in the basics. Give that to you, Sergeant Major.
3: Brilliance in the basics, technically and tactically proficient. An expert in your field craft, your MOS, what's that look like? Uh, for the infantryman? mastery of the weapon systems and movement, map reading. For the artilleryman, how to either send fire or call for fire. I mean, accurate fires. So for the 42 Alpha, maybe it's a, a single request, but it's being an expert in your field. Just totally brilliant at it. Is we can take those individual experts and build a, a team, a squad, a section, a platoon, a company, uh, you know, keep going, of truly highly trained, technically and tactically proficient experts, just skilled in their field. And it's, it's easier to go from an, uh, a highly skilled soldier to collective training at the company or troop or above, above echelons above, than it is to go from struggling with training the individual soldier to be a member of a team when you have, um, uh, when you lack the skills at the individual level to contribute to the team. Right. So we're just asking you to be an expert. Be brilliant at it, be great at it. Know it inside and out. You got downtime? Pull out the old uh, training manuals, you know, the hip pocket training those days. Go back to being that basic NCO that just uh, does crew drills over and over and over again, individual individual pieces of the crew drill, until they master it. So take time. Retrain it. If you don't get a go on it, retrain it. Don't pencil whip it.
0: So if we, if you think about the why, you know, why we're doing – these things with the Big Six and brilliance in the basics, it's because we've fallen down as a guard on realism and success. Our retention statistics have been you know, really bad over the last couple years, and so you know we ask ourselves, you know, how has that happened in our formations? We've studied it. It comes down to, I and mean, there's a lot of reasons, but the biggest reason is that we're moving too fast. The purse tempo is too high. We've just we, we've done we're, we've we've sampled enough. We've talked enough to troops. and We believe it. So we believe the way to counter that is to slow the guard down, which means simpler IDT, simpler AT periods, more predictable. Well, if you do that, you got to have integrity to say, all right, I'm going to slow you down. I'm going to make it really basic, the, the strategy basic. So you're going to do less. But the things, Great. when you do less, I want you to, you I want, you, to Right, ball. I want it to be at a basic level that you can get really, really good at and recognize as a guard that, you know, for us to execute our our full spectrum combat mission, we're going to need post-mob time. Right. That's just a realistic way to look at it. I mean, if you look at what you know, some some units in our guard, our state have done um, the last couple of years. I mean, it's in, it's unbelievable the amount of pressure. I mean, 75, 80 days for a Guardsman, and, mm-hmm. and that being in the program. I mean, right. that actually being planned training. I mean, right. and, and that's not counting any kind of state active duty stuff. So, we. The reason we want to focus on the basics is is we know that we can't do it all. We want to do the basic things right. And look, the basic things are different from everybody. They'll be different for your MOS. You know, they're different in the I.O., they're different in the 341st. Um, But during the the commander dialogue that we started in January about training for FY21, we talked about basics. And we talked about how they view their basic tasks and and the things that they want to achieve through, the things that they can do through repetition and get really good at. And this spark started Right before I took command, I read Mattis' book, uh, Calls on Chaos. Mm-hmm. You know? And he has this idea in there that, you know, a Marine means something, and then a squad of Marines means something. And you put three of them, and you got a platoon of Marines. I mean, so the sergeant major and I kind of resonated with that. You know, let's have soldier first, soldiers, right, who, are, who handle their individual requirements. We bring them together in a small formation, whether it's a squad or a platoon, um, or a section or a team, depending on their unit, and they, they train those basic tasks. Right right and then they master them over time and then we recognize that we will have time later to do something bigger collectively but right now we got to attend to our guard which means slowing it down making it more predictable and we can do that with training at a basic level
1: so we just talked to sergeant wadley um a while ago and released that retention podcast uh was the last one we did and That actually hit two of the things was the predictability but then what brilliance in the basics i think really calls back to as something that he pointed out as something he sees is training in your job sure learning your skill which i know in public affairs man if you can give a public affairs uh, specialist something to go cover something Mm. to go shoot a task to go do using their equipment Mm man, they will go, they'll knock it out of the park right? because that's all they want to do is their specific task, right? Mm -hmm. Jason knows. He's like, absolutely. Absolutely. And and giving them that chance instead of here's a bunch of mandatory training, here's a bunch of others. I mean, granted, we have to do all of that stuff, right? And we know we have to do that stuff. But the brilliance and the basics thing, which I think really hits the nail on the head for for what soldiers want to do is they... They ask to do their job for a reason, and they want to do that job. That's right. And giving them the opportunity to use those skills to enhance those skills, I think that's number one for sure and on, I think, on being able to retain them.
3: And I think on top of that, you have to do it within a reasonable amount of time. Right. So that our civilian employers, our family members, uh, our support, right, if you will, can actually – support us for us to do these missions and to to do this training
1: exactly
3: so
0: when you do large-scale collective ops you you have to you're forced especially if you self-support as a state you're forced to people pulling people away from their mos to do supporting things that they wouldn't necessarily do
1: right exactly
0: and so without you know we, we can move some of those off the plate for the next fy get back to the basic stuff like you're talking about it, it all, you're going to see here by the time we get to the end of the sixth one. All these connect; they all connect, right? Soldier first, individual that allows folks, you know, to to train at the basic level. Right. You know, um, we're predictable with the soldier-centric aspect of it, and then it, it flows into the fourth one. You know, that I'll I'll start off with is leader development. So we are not giving lip service to leader development. You're going to see some guidance that I'm rolling out for June IDD That's all about leader development. It's about it's not leader development is not just LPDs and NCOPDs and OPDs. It's That's just a tiny piece of it, right? Leader development in its perfect sense for me is allowing young leaders to do consequential, important things knowing that they're probably not going to be perfect the first time. They're going to learn. I mean, think about it, everybody sitting
1: giving here. Giving them the ability Ex- to fail exactly. in a safe way. I mean,
0: I can tell you I have learned a thousand times more Yes, from my... You know, failings, and the times I've fallen short, then the times I got hurt. And
1: right. if they can learn a lesson, it's not really a failure.
0: If you can move That's it, right. so, again, it's all, it all connects, <laughs> right? Basic level training. You allow a sergeant to run something consequential. You know, maybe it's a team live fire range, or maybe it's a, um, you know. A, Individual you know, weapons you know, call, sir. Yeah, <laughs> sure, I mean, just a regular flat range. Or a lieutenant, a brand new lieutenant, right? If we get away from having our e Eights, you know, run everything, and having our seasoned, you know, folks run, and let those, yep, let those young leaders run it. They're going to learn a tremendous amount. They're going to be more informed when they're in higher level leadership positions. But here's the big, here's the main thing you're going to do. You're going to value them, all right? They're going to be valued. I mean, do you think about a, a sergeant or a, you know, a lieutenant? Think about how what they're thinking about two or three weeks before drill, when they're on the hook to do something important, right? They're engaged. Yeah. I mean, they're ready to come in as opposed to coming in and being handed some menu to execute. Right. So that's how we want to develop leaders in that fashion. And we've, I've told the commanders, I don't know how many times now that that's how you get after this. It all connects. It makes, um, it, well, it doesn't make it, it fosters them being valued. It grows buy-in from them. Um,
1: Gives them confidence.
0: Absolutely. And and it develops. That's leader development. So. You know, you can't necessarily do all that stuff if you have some really crazy collective year, right? So, right. so it all fits with the leader development. We we both believe that um, the rank of sergeant, you know, and, and lieutenant to some extent, but certainly sergeant has been devalued over the over time, and maybe the you know maybe the war fight did it to us, the fob centric approach to you know the last last years of the war. I'm not sure. But what we want to do is we want to absolutely blow nitrous into the ranks of our E5s and E6s and, and young lieutenants, um, so that they understand the impact that they have on our formation. Because if we do this, it all it all connects, right? If we do this, they're gonna they're gonna have buy-in about their squad and right. their outfit, right? And then they're gonna do things and they're gonna do it well and they're gonna be you know admired by their specialists and their team leaders. And those team leaders are going to want to aspire to be that sergeant who's doing something for the unit. I mean, it all connects to the mm-hmm. sixth, you know, tenant, which we'll end with here in a little bit. But that's that's why leader development is so important to us. Sorry, Major. Nice. And, sir, uh, you, you
3: just look at like the last 20 years, it's been roll-on, roll-off training. Mm-hmm. Not many NCOs have went out and set up ranges or set up some type of sticks lanes for their soldiers to run through because it's been done for them. Right. Uh, as we move away from that and move back into the traditional uh, Vietnam era style of training, if you will, the force-on-force, uh, force, uniformed force-on-force, force, uh, near-peer threats, etc., as our our main foe, then you have to look at NCOs being able to operate independently away from the flagpole with initiative and intent, and they have to be able to get after the mission, and to do that, you have to empower them. If you right. don't empower them, you don't give them the, the power to actually get out there and the knowledge and the ability to fail safely, right. as you put it. Uh, they don't learn. They don't learn. They don't grow.
1: I mean, what's the point of training if you're not going to give them you know, the opportunity to do one way or the other and learn from it?
0: Yeah, you've got to be able to retrain.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: So... I mean, the things that the Sergeant Major and I are, are trying to do are purposeful, right? So even the, the reading list stuff. I talk in my leadership philosophy about, you know, the, the value of making mistakes and learning from them. But the things we're doing with our LPD series once a quarter with battalion command teams um, and MSC command teams about, you know, picking something, you know, topical and, and, and teaching it, right? Um, and then the CG, the reading list stuff, all of it fits into leader development. Because what I want them to do is I want them to, to read and engage and understand, you know, doctrinally what they're supposed to be doing so they don't make rookie mistakes. The, the rookie mistakes are the ones that can be avoided through discipline, through modeling behavior and through, you know, reading and understanding. And all, all these things we're doing are supporting this aim at leader development. It could be the most powerful one of all of them is developing these leaders to truly have buy-in and feel valued. I, I, I believe fundamentally that people don't re-enlist in the guard because they've lost a connection, you know, at probably a, at a lower level, the connection to their squad or connection to their platoon. This leader development thing could change that. And sir, I'd I'd like to add that the other part of the leader development that we're
3: kind of not talking about is that that more senior level where we're talking about the relationships like between. a
1: mentorship sort of situation.
3: Right. So when we're talking about the relationship between the platoon leader and the platoon sergeant or the the first sergeant and the commander and battalion command sergeant majors and battalion commanders and so forth, when we're talking about that relationship and how they need to develop it and they they have to they have to be one on the same sheet of music, but it's okay to disagree and the that senior E seven is really there to help mentor the that lieutenant and Okay, so this is what you learned at school. This is how it applies in the field. And the first sergeant's there to advise the commander on, that's a great idea, I love it, but our troops are only capable of this because that's where the NCO lives is in contact with the troops constantly, and we're trying to get them to share that information across the line to the officer side of the house. So there's a really nice balance, a marriage, if you will between the NCO and the officer in those key leader positions. And you have to develop it, and that's part of the leader development model.
1: And then I think I remember at the leaders conference, Sergeant Major, you talking about preparing the next person up for whatever your position is as well and really reaching down and sort of providing that too.
3: I I look at it like a ladder. Right. I'm on one rung, somebody's on a rung below me. I need to figure out how to pull them up with me because sooner or later i'm going to step off the ladder and, and somebody else has got to be on it to help others up it exactly so, yeah exactly
0: so the fifth tenant is is discipline initiative with intent so maybe you want to tee it up and then i'll, uh, I'll take it from there i almost teed it up in the last
3: one i tried, <laughs> I tried to avoid <laughs> it sir. All fits together. yeah so uh, we really want the, the the leader the the nco and the young lieutenant to have the opportunity to go out there and make a decision based on this is the the commander's intent. But that decision has consequences. And that's where the we talk about the failing and retraining and, and training to the standard. They just have to they have the have to have the confidence in themselves and the knowledge that what they're doing is going to be the right decision. Right or the wrong decision and understand that their decision does come with consequences, but you have to make a decision.
0: And you have to do it in an educated manner. Sir? The, this discipline initiative with an intent thing, it's, a, it's just a must, right? It's a tool that has to be enacted across our formation if we have any hope of this working. It's, it's because geography is a tyrant to the guard, right? So is time but geography particularly. I mean, if I had an active duty company and I was a first sergeant, I could pretty much enact my will into that company because I have constant contact with them. I can communicate with them constantly. I mean, there's not a lot of daylight there, right? But for the sergeant major and I, I mean, there's a lot of turf between here and Walla Walla. Right. And you know, Spokane. And Spokane <laughs> and, you know, pick a place. The same thing with our commanders. I mean, we've got battalion commanders that have four different locations that are, you know, hours apart. So the, the idea that you have to have this discipline initiative with an intent, it means that you got to do at least two things right. You've got to communicate precisely through echelon. We've got to make sure that these this conversation we're having right ha- here has got to bore like a laser beam down to the echelon that it matters, right? And for our, for us, it's at the company level. It needs to go lower if you're a battalion commander. Right. So we got to communicate it precisely which is why we're doing things like this. We're doing things like our, you know, posting our, our branding up. We're getting our soldier cards out. We're, we're teaching this to, to uh, command teams. But then you, along the way, you've got to develop trust and understanding, mutual trust, shared understanding. You've got to do this. So that if, if you can get that part right, you have some hope that a company commander who's out in the wilderness understands what the hire's intent is, and then they can execute off of it. If they if we don't communicate it the right way they will have no hope of understanding what our intent is right and if we don't do it in repetition and we don't you know communicate it the right way they're not going to have the trust and understanding so that tenant is more of a of a tool that is it, that will use throughout this whole process so if we want to do something consequential to this formation we are going to make sure that it's communicated to the spot where it needs to be communicated and we're going to develop trust and understanding along the way Like I've said before, the things we're doing are purposeful. There's a reason why every month we go and meet in person with recruiters and ask folks like you to plaster their faces up on Facebook, (laughs) right? There's a reason, right? Right. Because we're communicating with them precisely. We're building trust with them. We're letting our formation know that we value the recruiting effort. If you don't do that, then, again, these words, they just, by the time they get to where they need to be, they're either not understood are not meaningful. Right. That's why that fifth tenant is so critically important. But all of it builds to the sixth tenant, right? The sixth thing of the big six. Most important thing. I call I, we always call it the Nirvana statement, right? It's building winning units. And it sounds so simple, building winning units, but if you if you play that out farther, it's winning units that have an army identity Right, Army identity. So what does that mean? That means Army values. Right, It means values. You can't separate those values from where we're trying to go. We're soldiers. Right? Soldier first, individual soldiers, soldier centric, us as an organization. We're soldiers are proud to serve. I mean, it sounds so simple, but, but check this out. If you can, over time, develop a unit, a squad or a platoon, or a company, because that's probably about as high as it goes, we're soldiers are truly proud to serve, do you think we're gonna have a re problem? No. Do you think when they drive away from drill, they're gonna look in the rearview mirror, thinking about what they're gonna be doing in the next IDT? I mean, that's what we want. We wanna build these units with soldiers who are proud to serve there. They got an army identity and they're winning. They're winning because we find winning. We, we've already talked to the commanders about certain ways that we're gonna view their outfits in terms of performance, but that's it. It all builds to that. 'Cause then we can get off this, you know, realism success thing and and start growing the strength of the guard the way it's supposed to grow. So all of these things build towards that. Building winning units. And we've we've tried to p- put these things in a very purposeful way to allow our, our commanders at, at the lower echelons to do just that. So we allow them to have a really basic strategy to training. It's gonna be predictable. It's going to support soldiers and their families, and you know we're going to re- attend to their ability to ensure these soldiers want to be there. They're they're proud to be there. The unit's got the right identity. It's not some rogue unit. It's in line with the values. It respects people. It values them. Um, and, you know, and ultimately, you know, the test will be a year from now. You know, what's our reenlistment success rate saying? I mean, from all all those folks, everybody out there hearing this, that is the the, probably the most studied metric that the sergeant major and I look at, reenlistment success rate, because at the end of the day, it's telling me whether soldiers want to stay in this formation, and I take it personally. I know the sergeant major does too, and I expect MSE commands and battalion commands and company commands to take it personally, because ultimately, when they leave, they're leaving us. Right. They're saying, "I don't want to be a part of your outfit anymore." There's some there's some good reasons for that, but for the most part, they're not. All right.
1: Preventable reason.
0: Preventable. We've let them down. Somewhere along the way, the trust. The thing that they had that sparked them when they were at MEPS and they were so excited to get on that plane, something's They weren't lost. excited at MEPS, <laughs> sir. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> well, they got the plane ticket. Maybe. After but, MEPS, but maybe. But that, that thing, you know, like I said, that thing that was in there that sparked them to join this profession. Somewhere along the way, they feel, in their minds, they feel like their trust was broken, that this ain't the deal I signed up for we got to reconnect them to the deal because it's all in their DNA. It w- if It's in their DNA because they chose it. Right. Tiny percentage of the population that did it, right? So, you know, we, everybody keeps talking about less than 1% of Americans, you know, who's, who choose to serve. So that's the population of folks we're talking about, right? If we can't find a way to reconnect why they did that in the first place, shame on us. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're doing with the Big Six. And just about every behavior we do is centers around how we – how we can support commanders building winning units? Sorry, Major? Exactly, sir. And it's—I
3: uh, had a brilliant thought there for a second, but then <laughs> it just eluded me. So, or you took it. One of the two. No. So, this gets back to empowering soldiers to be soldiers right. and leaders to be leaders, and at the lowest level. And, and I remember back in the day when we would have team on team. You know, events and and competitions, and who is better, and who could take this M4 apart the fastest, or right. who could do it blindfolded. That's Building the comp- unit
1: cohesion, yeah, team cohesion. Yeah, the esprit yeah. of
3: core, right? Yeah, so that's what we're trying to get back into our units. Just be proud to serve. Build that competition between squads or between fire teams or sections. Uh, who can process the most? Uh, packets accurately within a month you know if paperwork is uh part of your job it's just who can do one more push-up than the other person right yeah build that competition because that competition builds winning units where people really have the desire to serve show up and fight for what you know the big green if you will so
0: (laughs) So we got ready to r- roll this thing out. We briefed it in January and uh, started getting some traction. Uh, you know, at least we, we felt we did. And then COVID hits, right? Of course. Um, and at first, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I crawled into my little hole, and I'm like, you know, woe is me, you know, we got COVID. But it didn't take very long um, to I think, think we're about. we halfway back from Walla Walla <laughs> yeah, that day, right. sir. To think about the opportunities that are here.
1: Oh, yeah, know, so many opportunities. It's great.
0: I mean, external and internal. The external ones are, you know, Obviously, you know, they'll they'll benefit us maybe for the long run, the branding and what the community's thinking about us. But internally, I started thinking about a ton of great opportunities. If you think about the soldiers that we have right now and airmen that are supporting the food banks and the testing sites. I mean, that is selfless work. And right. they're digging it. I mean, the soldiers are liking this work.
1: Oh, and we uh, we talked about this the other day about their connection to their own communities right, yeah. that they are servicing right now.
0: Yeah, so... And the fact that we've we tried to approach it with mostly volunteers i mean that's a powerful thing right so if you think about you know these these young soldiers that are actually getting to do these selfless things it's just again reinforcing the behavior of why they chose to serve in the first place well i mean sergeant major and you know a few years they're going to be your squad leaders you know they're going to be your future platoon sergeants the same folks that have understood the value of selflessness the value of service The value of being a part part of something bigger than yourself. I mean, I I see this as a huge opportunity, the response we're in right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I heard you go through all the six tenants, and I didn't hear anything about the state mission that we have. And I think that sets us apart, not just from the Army, but from all the other services, is that we have that state mission. I mean, I think that is a big reason why people chose the Guard, is because of that state mission, not just the federal mission
0: completely agree and you know we're fortunate to have a uh, a wise uh, adjutant general and, and major general doherty he, he's always been a, a you know he's al- he's understood the importance both externally and internally of the domestic mission and you know in the sergeant major I you know we recognize this that we, we briefed in our leader summit it's actually in our vision statement we recognize we have two higher headquarters one's the department of the army yeah. ngb is a conduit through that but we also have the you know the governor, the elected officials, the citizens of this state, and they're uh, neither one of them is more important than the other. At least that's not the way we see it. Um, but we're going to execute when, when either one of those two higher headquarters calls, we provide guidance. We're going to execute, and the domestic mission, to your point, can be really, really important to a formation. It can give it an identity. You remember back uh 1161st in Euphreda. Yeah. I mean, what a community identity they had, and that wasn't that wasn't because. They drove to Yakima on, you know, did ranges. It was because they supported that community through fires and floods and, you know, pick a thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, it's another opportunity here. You know, there's the ability to embrace adversity in this response is straight out of Command Sergeant Major Abby West playbook. You know, the most, you know, one of the most resilient humans I've ever known. And she taught me through a lot of windshield time that when you can embrace adversity and look for, you know, look for opportunities in the middle of it you're going to be better and stronger for it and i mean i would offer you know that to anybody listen to this that during this response the idea of resiliency and the model that she taught us all about looking to your faith your family your friends and your formation when you need to be resilient and look for opportunities in, in times like this um th- those were those were wise words from command Sergeant major west mm-hmm.
1: definitely do you have any other questions?
2: Um, I kind of do. I figured uh, I, you would. I, I don't know if, if, if we'll, we'll keep it, but it's, okay. just, it's a question I had. You guys talked, gentlemen, you talked about going, slowing the guard down. I mean, what is what is that? We recently ramped up. I mean, like, nationwide, <coughs> major units have gone to three-week annual trainings, you know, four-day, three-day, four-day drills, and then we're just talking about putting the brakes on. Like, what is i don't i don't i guess i don't know what what the the question is but
3: well, so how's that gonna look well, I mean. let me kind of help you uh sculpture this into what i think you're getting help
1: at. jason mm-hmm. he just got back yeah yeah
2: <laughs> so i was working 24 hours again. yeah i know right
3: yeah. For <laughs> so <ten
2: months.
3: laughs> how do you go from Uh, fielding all this new equipment in 81st Brigade and being aligned with an active duty Mm -hmm. unit, trying to keep pace with an active duty unit, to coming back to being traditional guard. What's that look like? Uh, I think we've proven through reenlistment and retention rates that we're not active component. We can't run 80 days a year because that's not what we signed up for. So we have to slow it down. If we don't slow it down, our retention rate will be so low that we will not be able to support a unit or even have a a unit at, at combat strength or combat readiness rates. I mean they just they tank. So in pulling that back, yes we know we have some mobilizations coming up that we're going to meet and we're going to meet those obligations and we're going to be successful at them. But we have to look at the purpose of the guard what we were originally signed up for, and what are we as an organization? We're in the Guard, it, you signed up originally for one weekend a month, two weeks a year, and that's evolved into 80 days a year. That's a little unrealistic when you look at mm-hmm. uh, the majority of, of our organizations that have civilian jobs, education. Uh, families that they're trying to care for that's a lot of balancing and it's a lot of stress on a a traditional soldier to balance those things and still have any type of life outside of being either a guard member uh, a spouse significant other a father a mother or a student etc i mean that's its a huge combination so I think what you're getting after is how do we slow down and be traditional again?
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I I just yeah. don't I just don't know how how that would play out.
3: Well, we here, here's Let's how
0: I, here's how I see it. Commanders fundamentally do a couple of things, right? Whether it's me or a company commander. We make decisions and we express risk to hire and manage it, right? So again, this ties into a very purposeful book that's on our reading list and that's to start with why, all right? So we understand we have a higher headquarters in the Department of the Army, you know, and in the state. So if you use an example like what the 81st Brigade went through over the past few years, I mean, the, our higher headquarters, um, they directed a transformation, right. you know, mm-hmm. from armor brigade to a striker brigade. It comes with all sorts of requirements. They directed that we would execute an associated unit pilot program. That came with requirements. They directed that we will validate through an XCTC process for a National Training Center rotation and then deploy after it. So there are higher headquarters, right? So we're not like some we're some rogue state that can just do what we want. We're not some club. I mean, we all took an oath mm-hmm. to obey the orders of, you know, our governor and the president of the United States. Right. So you don't get an option out, but what we got to do is we, as we make decisions about that, we have to express risk express that risk to hire and manage it. And you you know, you could argue along the way what kind of job we did over the last few years, but but turning the page from what happened before to where we're at today sitting around this table is that you can bet that we're gonna make decisions and express risk and manage it so start with why so at the end of next summer for the largest part of for the vast majority of our formation minus a couple units that are are mobilizing, mobilizing who will be resourcefully and trained and, and totally prepared but minus their mobilizations what would require us the why to do anything more than really a basic year leading into FY21's AT period what's the why are they asking us to de- deploy to a hotspot? Are they asking us to do OCO? Are they asking us to go do some crazy validation event at a gated, you know, some sort of gated event? No, our higher headquarters is not. Mm-hmm. So I look at that as a decision space. I can decide. I can express the risk to my higher. So I go to the adjutant general and say, "Sir, the Department of the Army is not requiring us to do anything really complicated at a collect, at a significant collective level in FY21. So I want to slow it down. I want it to feel like muta and 15s reconnected more predictable and there's no why at the end of it so we'll look to 22 and see what our requirements are maybe we'll, maybe we'll do something simpler to 22 but w- what will probably happen is that w- more requirement you know over time we'll we'll find a requirement out there
1: I mean it cycles through sure
0: it does mm-hmm. but here's our deal here's the here's the deal and just I believe soldiers will you know I hope that soldiers will resonate with this that if we can be real with them and build some trust in the next couple of years. When we don't have a big why, right? We don't have a big collective driver a big huge large mobilization driver. And if we can if we can be straight with them and say, all right, we're going to slow this thing down. You're going to train at a basic level. You're going to sharpen yourself, you're going to be really sharp at the squad level, maybe platoon level, section team, you know, level. And, and we're going to we're going to keep this thing going. But in 23 or 24, if the army comes calling and they want something more significant, then i want you to rise up mm. we're going to rise up together we're going to get through it and then we're going to go back if we can do that as opposed to just continually keeping them on you know seven additional days and then 21 day ATs. i mean i don't understand that so how the hell would they understand it so i that's don't a, understand it because so i'm that's in the reserve aim. right and yeah. we're we don't do right. anything so like that that is our <laughs> aim our, our goal here is to be honest with them just like what they just like we would want people to be honest with us explain to them what it is why it is their training the way they're supposed to be training, and then build a framework that, you know, that allows them to get after
2: it. That's starting to make more sense to me now. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't gotta, come without risk
0: because you gotta express this risk to hire. Mm-hmm. So let's play it play out to your, your point. Let's say last year we would have went to the Department of the Army through NGB and said, listen, you're gonna you're gonna put us in this process and if we don't cross level into this formation, the pressure that you're gonna place in that formation is probably we're gonna result in you getting a formation that's maybe sixty percent available. Is that a risk that you want us to take? Right. And then, and then see what they say. But there are, you know, <laughs> there are higher headquarters, right? So I mean, again, we're all we're all we're all in this thing together.
2: Okay.
1: But the ability to do stuff like that, I think, is singular to the guard because, like, in the reserve, we're not, we cannot go beyond right. twenty-nine days at, and we only get our forty-eight mutas for the whole year. Sure. So when I saw all of the the mutas and everything last year, I was like, how do you guys do this? <laughs> But I mean, I understood because they were training for NTC. But yeah, I think it—the predictability, at least when I was talking to Sergeant Wadley, was, was pretty important. Yeah. Awesome. Can What else I, we want to talk about? Can I get a, like uh, your top five for your book reading list, just for everybody out there?
0: Yeah, you bet. So the number one book, well, maybe I'll just tease it and do uh, just a few. Um, <laughs> but the number one uh, book, on they're all they're in priority order. But the number one book on my reading list is. Hesselbein on leadership. Okay. Um, by Francis Hesselbein. And the story of Francis Hesselbein is powerful. And uh, I, I it's I don't want it's a spoiler thing, right? But so Hesselbein's premise is that it is far more important on how to be than how to do. Mm-hmm. Now she's talking, you know, she's you know talking about you know kind of mid-management level. Never spent a day in the military. Frances Hesselbein, right? So I'm just a massive fan. So this is a little old lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's like 103 this year. Um, wrote a bunch of books. So she started as a volunteer to her local Girl Scout troop. Okay. Went from there, and I, I'm not going to give too much away because I want you to read the book, but... <laughs> She goes from there to become the CEO of Girl Scouts of America.
1: Right. This story sounded really right. familiar to me. Now I she think goes, I read it. <laughs> and then
0: she goes from there to be, you know, the the supreme leadership mentor to every four star in the DoD, right? Frances Hesselbein. Wow. And it's the simple concept, really, of how to be versus how to do. And I just I, I, I consume everything that she puts on paper um, several books, but Hesselbein on Leadership is the first one. Um, and then the second book is an awesome tale of a you know, hero and a villain. Once an Eagle by Anton Meyer, right? Um, I'm, su- I'm sure you, you know, everybody's heard. It. It's been on the Chief of Staff's so Army's reading list forever. I read it, and I read it for the first time cover to cover in 2011, and I should have read it you know long before then. It's a monster of a book. It's like 1,200 pages, but it, it's really a tale of of how you know, how the army, how an organization values different kinds of leaders, right? So you've got one, you know, the hero in the book is a really transformational leader. He connects with his soldiers, his soldiers, um, you know, like serving underneath him. And then kind of the villain in the book is a leader that looks for the spotlight, really doesn't care about troops, manages up. And...
1: Toxic leader.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Before we knew, before toxic was cool, right? Right. and so that's what this book's about, and it's a long time, and it doesn't end the way you necessarily think. It's kind of set in a fictitious kind of Vietnam set backdrop. But it is an incredible book on leadership, especially if you read it from the perspective of, like, the self-assessment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where do I find myself? Because we've all fallen into traps on both sides of that hero-villain spectrum. Um, but it's definitely uh, definitely worth reading, and there's some there's some killer quotes in there. I mean, my fame probably one of my favorite quotes is at the very end of that book, Anthony Meyer has a quote in there that says, uh, it goes something like this. You will have no choice of what you were born into and you will have likely very little choice on how you end. The rest is up to you to be a good man or a woman. Right. I mean, that's powerful stuff, right? It hits you with that right at the end. But if (laughs) you, if you, if you can, if you read that book from like a self assessment thing, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty good stuff. Um, And then, of course, we already talked about the why book, you know, Simon Sinek with why. And there's a few other really good ones on there. There's different purposes, right, to the books on there. Um, You know, I I even throw on there at the end, Undaunted Courage about the American spirit. And, again, from where we came from. You know, Soldier First is about connecting to the Army. Well, look, we're Americans, man. We've got a crazy long line Mm -hmm. of of doing hard things and triumphing through them, you know. And then, of course, Settling the West, you know, fits into the whole Rainier thing, you know. When Lewis and Clark, you know, crossed the Columbia... You know, they're on our, on our turf and they talk about it in the book and uh it it fits into part of the reason why we chose uh, the call sign that we chose so there's a couple of other ones in there I'll let you explore it but uh they're all very purposeful
1: we'll have to get the list yeah. to put in the show
0: notes all very very purposeful awesome i want to I want to tease it that'll make that'll force you to go and uh and look at it we started with we started with six that I think uh i think makes sense mm-hmm. there's even kind of a controversial one on there.
2: That is a tease. That is a tease.
0: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just. All right, I'll, I'll. I'll give you. I'll give you a little. <laughs> don't, don't do it, sir. Don't do it. <laughs> all right. Well, Star Major says I can't do it. I can't.
1: <laughs> you can tell us after we stop recording, and yeah, then. Yeah.
0: We'll yeah. So look for me again. Hoping that there'll be be some people actually hear this podcast. I want everybody to stand on the guard right now. Give us a year. Let us prove to you that we're serious about this. That we're serious about caring for you and your families. We're serious about growing this guard, getting the strength back. You know, being a strong, proud guard here again, we've got to build this number. And a lot of it is to that end of building the strength back in our guard. The Sergeant Major and I, for two months now, have called every soldier that's thirty days out from ETS and they haven't decided. We've attempted to call each one of them personally. And we're learning that the word's not getting out. The importance of staying in the guard. There's all sorts of ways you can stay in the guard. So if you're hearing this, know the Sergeant Major and I want you to stay on our guard give us a chance to show you that things are going to be different a year from now
3: yes sir let me add to that you don't have to wait till the last 30 days for us to call you either
0: go early if you're going to stay just give us the chance we're going to find a way to incentivize it so if you re-enlist in the first quarter of your ETS window we're going to incentivize it so all, all sorts of ideas just stick with us if you if you're on the fence just stick with us and give us a chance for this thing to look different here All right. Anything else? No, sir. That's it. All right. With that, soldier first. Soldier first. All right.